tired of being beat up by my revolving door ladies, and bored of my open door arrangement with Nancy, I yearned for a quiet, peaceful, and more mature relationship. When I met Mary McGregor, I was intrigued by her celebrity status, and surprised at how down-to-earth she was. She seemed to have accomplished a lot in her life, and had a settled, no-games attitude that I found at once exciting and peaceful. So I determined to work myself into her peripheral vision. The air is chill, the light turns green I hear a siren's lonely key Lost in a crowd I'm never seen But maybe it could happen The elevator's slow to rise Nobody speaks, a baby cries The passing Once I attracted her attention, I was sure I could persuade Mary to allow me inside her orbit. What better way to get Mary's attention than to focus on her mare's birthing, I figured, and decided I would film it for educational purposes. Chapter 29. New Moon. Another Beginning. In the fall I received another call from Melanie, Mary McGregor's partner. I needed to preg-check the mare, Babe, again. Melanie was not able to be present, but Mary was there to hold the horse. Yep, she's still pregnant, I explained. I can feel a fetus with my hand. Now I'm bouncing it. Gently pushing the uterus caused the baby to squirm. How big is the baby? she asked. Let's see. You bred her in May. That's five months. The thing should be as big as a cat now, at five, six months. Does everything feel normal? she asked. Yep, I pushed my arm back in to review my findings, now that we had a new question. But things felt much the same as they did four minutes earlier. With my right hand up to my shoulders in the horse's rectum, I decided to ask Mary to go on a date with me. Um, yeah, it feels fine. You know, I was thinking, we should go dancing. I've learned the swing, and maybe we could do it together. 
I don't go dancing, she quickly replied, summarily rejecting my grand idea. Oh, what about water skiing? I've got this friend who has a ski boat. We can ski all day. I don't know how to ski, and I'm not interested in going out on a date. Oh, I replied, stripping the manure-laden glove off my arm. I bunched it up and tossed it in the trash container in my vet pack. You know what? She said, finally throwing me a lifeline. I'm having a few friends over Friday night. You're welcome to come. Thanks, Mary. I certainly will. That was the go-ahead I was waiting for. She cracked the door open. Now it was time to barge in and wow her. But, being an old hand at this pickup scene, I backed off, allowing myself time to best prepare for Friday. As I worked through my calls on Friday, Chuck, a friend from JC's, came in with a pregnant doxy bitch. This girl needed to have a cesarean section. There's this rule in vet medicine. The hardest case of the week usually walks in on Friday at 4 p.m. This afternoon proved that theory once again. Chuck's dog was such a case. She'd been in labor since early Friday morning. I'd performed many surgeries on small animals at Dr. Brandt's office, and I'd completed just a couple of cat spays in my office. This was the perfect opportunity to break in my new surgery room with this hard case. Lori helped me with the C-section. I was wearing a hat, mask, and had a gown and gloves on. Lori wore a mask and a hat. She couldn't touch the operation without sterile gloves. I needed her to float for me and to take care of the puppies when they came out. I was on my own doing this surgery. Once we had Roxy anesthetized and the gas level dialed in right, Lori watched me do the C-section. All this stuff was new to her. She was excited to observe and help. See this white fatty tissue? It's subcutaneous fat. I'll trim it away to see the linea alba, the white line that holds the abdominal muscles together. If I incise only along the white line, the dog heals quicker because there is little tissue to be mended there. Once I cleared the fat from the area, which was easy because this girl had hardly any fat, I picked a spot to prick with my scalpel blade. You've got to be careful here, I warned Lori. I need to push this blade through the linea, but carefully, because the baby's tight in there and are forced against the abdominal wall. Pushing too hard can cut them, and I don't want to have to stitch the skin of a newborn pup just because I was careless. Picking up the rat tooth forceps in my left hand, I gathered the linea up. Carefully pushing the blade in, I made just a big enough hole to allow my scissors to finish opening up the belly. Using scissors is a lot safer than continuing to slice with a surgical blade. Mets and bomb tissue scissors have rounded tips, so they will not inadvertently pierce essential things, and the gentle curve of the edges allows the scissors to glide through tissue with minimal damage. I use them to open the belly up, creating a six-inch gash. They're right here, ready to jump out, I said, seeing the babies inside the thinned-out uterus. Setting my scissors down, I exteriorize the uterus. Using both hands, I worked my fingers under the left uterine horn and gently coaxed it upwards outside my incision. I repeated the same maneuver with the right horn, pulling that entire horn out into the open too. Now the babies were lying on the outside of mama's belly, but still inside her uterine horns. They look like sausages in an intestinal casing. Here's the tricky part. I have to go into the uterus at the outside border, which means finding the place with the fewest blood vessels. It's the farthest point from the center here, so now I know where I want to open up. I have to be careful not to puncture a baby with my instruments. Are you ready for puppies? Lori nodded. I tented the outside border with my rat tooth scissoring into the uterine wall, 
to make it long enough to pop the first baby out without tearing through the tissue. In a flash, I pluck the fetus and gently tease the placenta out along with the baby. He's still inside the sack, I said. I tore the sack open, pulling the puppy from the greenish placenta, and stretched the umbilical vessels until they broke. Put a clamp on the umbilicus, Lori. I'll tie them off. Toss the placenta in the trash. I returned to surgery looking for number two. When I grabbed the baby, the sack broke, and he came free of the placenta when I pulled him out. The puppy was vigorously squirming when I placed it into Lori's hands. The placenta would be expelled later as afterbirth. Just put a clamp on this one's cord, too. The third one I pulled out had its membranes intact, as well as the placenta. It still has layers covering it, Lori. You need to strip them off and clear the nose so it can start to breathe. I returned to the uterus. There's nothing more in the left horn. Let's go to the other side. How are you doing, Lori? Ready for the other half? Yep, everybody's looking good. Moving to the right uterine horn, I carefully made a new incision to set this neighborhood free. How many more, Doc? I don't know. I take things one at a time. Here. Here's number four, I think, right? One, two, three. Yes. Looks like just one more. Give me a minute. I need to work this guy into the incision. I focus for another half minute, milking the last fetus toward the surgical opening. Yep. Here's another. How many do we have? You just gave me number four. Okay. This is the last one. Here you go. How are the others looking? I was relaxed, thinking about closure now that all the babies were out. All of them look great, except one keeps bringing bubbles up at his nostrils. You've got to grab the puppy in your hands with the head pointing down, I explained. I couldn't help her. I was still in my sterile surgery gown and the gloves and had to sew up Mama. Now hold tight and act like you're going to throw the thing on the floor. The fling drives the fluid from the lungs. I can do it for you as soon as I'm done here. I'm putting a running stitch in the uterus. When all the puppies were out, I sutured the uterine incisions together, closed the linea alba, and finally sutured the skin together. Everything was going great. We delivered five vigorous puppies, and the mother went through an uneventful recovery. Exhaling in relaxation after being intensely focused for 40 minutes, I leaned against the counter in the treatment room, watching Lori working on her new charges. Oh, I should tie out the umbilical cords. I turned back for suture and needle holders. Lori, can you pull on the umbilicus? It'll make it easier for me to tie a knot. The surgery went great, and now I calculated the evening. I had to keep my dinner date, even though the dog remained groggy. So I placed Woozy Mama and her five puppies in a box, loaded them into my truck, and drove out to Creston to have dinner with my new friend. There were five people at the party, neighbors, who got together whenever Mary was on a break from singing tours. The puppies were a big hit, the guests ooing and aahing over them. John Kay was a neighbor up the street, a contractor Mary had called the day she moved in. The septic system was clogged, and the previous owner suggested John's help. After fixing the problem, he gathered both Mel and Mary close to him, giving the girls some free tips about living in the country. He told them there were rattlesnakes, scorpions, black widow spiders, mountain lions, bears, and bobcat. Oh my. But the bigger critters usually left people alone. And for further reassurance, he made sure both gals knew he was only a quick phone call away. A few weeks after the party, I ran into him at town. He said using the dogs as a come-on for women was brilliant. I hadn't planned it at all, I explained, although he never did believe me. Even though the people at the party were kind of protective of her, I was able to find some alone time with Mary. We walked outside to the small stoop outside the front door. It was a quiet but uncomfortable place to sit as we sat down next to each other. 
She was worried about one of her pets, a female Springer Spaniel. Can you help me with my dog Tilly? She's starting to leak urine, the star said. Tilly spayed, right? Mary nodded. Sometimes the loss of hormones from the ovaries allows the trigon region of the bladder to weaken. This region is in charge of maintaining bladder tone to prevent urine from leaking into the urethra. It causes the wet spot seen when an affected spayed female is lying down for a period. I heard there was medicine for that. Yep, we use DES, diethylstabesterol. It's an estrogen replacement, but it causes cancer. Seems like everything causes cancer. Only the less expensive drugs, I quipped. We're using PPA now, phenopropylalamine. I could try those on her, but we're supposed to run a urine test first to make sure the dribbling isn't due to diabetes, as it causes sugar in the urine. Kidney or liver damage can make her unable to concentrate the urine, so it dribbles out. As I was getting ready to leave, Melanie came over and invited Mary and me to have dinner at her house. Melanie was Mary's road manager, in charge of the trip and accommodations for Mary McGregor's band, whenever they went on tour. Melanie accompanied Mary on her concerts to South America, Malaysia, and Asia, along with Jay, who was Mary's agent at the Philip Morris Agency. Melanie was a third partner in the 40 acres they bought in Creston. Mel built the second house on the property and moved from Mary's place just four months previously when John K. finished her new home. I told Mel I would come over for dinner. I drove up Melanie's driveway, and Mary walked over from her house. During dinner, there was some small talk about the horses, then some small talk in general. The mood was not relaxing. I sensed some strain between Mary and Mel, but I was not overly concerned because these were friends whom I was just getting to know. When dinner was over and Melanie was about to serve dessert, she announced I needed to choose between her and Mary. I was dumbfounded. My jaw fell open. Mary pushed her chair back, stood up, and announced it was time for her to go back to her house. I finished dessert with Mel, then told her I needed to get back home as well. I thanked her for dinner and drove home wondering if I was ever going to find a relationship with a woman that's not crazy. Because I had Mary's home number, I called her up for a date. When she answered, I asked her if she wanted to go to San Luis Obispo for drinks. She told me she was uncomfortable because of Melanie's statement and didn't want to be in the middle of a triangle. I said I was making these efforts to get to know her better, and not Mel. Mary agreed to try me out. The next week, Mary and I went to San Luis for drinks. I paid for the drinks. Afterward, we went to see a movie. Just as we were about to buy tickets, my pager went off. I left to find a payphone to call the answering service. I scheduled the prom for the next morning, joined Mary again in the movie marquee, and dug money out of my pocket. To my chagrin, I realized I spent too much money on drinks and didn't have enough money for the movie. At that time in my career, I didn't have a credit card. I asked Mary if she had some money I could borrow. She lent me the money and evidently forgot about the incident because she never asked me to pay her back. As the movie ended and we walked outside that night, I realized we were under a full moon. I suggested we drive out to Oak Country Ranch where I had my trailer. We walked around the pond and up and down large hills, watching the fog from our breath become illuminated like the moon. As I drove Mary back home, there was little to say because we still had little in common. I dropped her off agreeing to call her about her foal in the next week or so. As the full moon began to wane, I thought of more options to become more involved in babes foaling. I was given equine reproduction lectures to my clients. So far, these talks covered getting the mare pregnant, as well as maintaining a healthy pregnancy. Realizing I could make a grand finale to my lectures by showing a video recording of a birthing, I called Mary to get an okay for the project. She thought it was a good idea, mainly because it meant there would be a veterinarian already present for the birth. 
I picked up a video camera, camera stand, and lights and arrived at Mary's ranch on Saturday. She called it Shadowmere Farms, a name given by the previous owner. I checked the mare out and walked around the barn, settling into a place to shoot the scene. Mary brought Babe into the camera with a halter on, so I started the video, pointing out the signs indicating birthing was imminent. Babe's teats were waxed. This occurs when the mammary glands fill with milk to the point where drops of hardened colostrum on the nipples appear waxy. Also, the sacroiliac ligaments were loosening to allow a full-term foal to slide through the birth canal easily. A hollow develops on either side of the rear as muscles of the hip and buttock area start to relax. There we were. The camera was set up, the mare was in place hormonally and physically for foaling, and a bottle of champagne was chilling in the refrigerator. However, Babe was not ready to let go of her foal. I filmed the precursor signs of foaling, and now we hunkered down in the cold February night to see if a baby would come soon. Mares have a unique mechanism where they can stop impending foaling if they feel an element of danger is present. They are flight animals, and this ability evolved over thousands of years. Babe must have sensed the new lights, the new stranger, and the increased attention was not conducive to foaling. She showed no signs of progressing past stage one of parturition. Stage one occurs when the foal moves towards the birth canal. The baby usually lies on its back during most of the gestation. As stage one labor develops, the baby gradually turns up on its belly and lines up its front feet and head into the birth canal. The mare's cervix will slowly open, and when the horse decides to further the birth, she will enter stage two of parturition. Stage two occurs when the cervix of the mare fully dilates. Now the baby can come out. The expulsion of the fetus begins once the cervix is open and the uterine and abdominal muscles start their forceful contractions. Slipping on a long, sterile sleeve, I dribbled KY gel on it and went into Babe's vagina to assess the status of her cervix. Advancing two of my fingers in, I knew stage two had begun. Now I could hasten delivery using the oxytocin injection, a birthing hormone synthesized by the pituitary gland in the brain. It is released during the birth process and induces uterine contractions and stimulates milk letdown. Babe settled onto her side 15 minutes later while the contractions of the abdominal and uterine muscles helped the foal advance to the birth canal. Soon the two feet of the foal protruded through the vulva, encased in a white, thick, colored membrane called the amnion. Grabbing the exposed legs, I gently pulled them down and towards me until I saw the foal's head. I tugged once again on the shoulders until they were free of the birth canal. The rest of the baby slid out, still encased in the thick white amniotic sac, and attached to the placenta via the umbilical cord. I ripped open the amniotic sac of the head area, and shook the head to clear the nostrils of fluid. The foal started breathing on its own. I let both the mare and the foal lie quietly for a few minutes to allow as much blood as possible to drain from the placenta through the umbilical cord and into the baby. I was pulling the remaining amniotic membranes off the foal when babe stood up, ripping the umbilicus free. Turning towards the foal, she nickered and began to nuzzle it, making soft whinnying sounds as she attended to her baby. After lying on the ground for 20 minutes, the foal began to struggle. It righted itself, pushed out both front feet, and teetered to a wobbly sawhorse stance. I checked Babe's mammary glands by touching the two nipples. They were not painful. With two fingers, I squeezed each nipple until I expressed milk. The milk was somewhat yellow because of the colostrum. I placed my fingers in the foal's mouth, and he responded by immediately sucking on them. He had an excellent suckle reflex. Everything seemed in place for routine nursing, so I gently pushed him toward the mammary glands. After some false starts on sites other than one of the two nipples, the foal did find the milk spigots and began suckling. 
Now I needed to help Babe finish the third stage of labor, which is the expulsion of the placenta. The amniotic sac is the actual balloon that encases the fetus and allows it to float in the liquid amnion fluid during pregnancy. The placenta encloses the entire fetal complex and intimately attaches to the wall of the uterus. This close attachment to the uterine wall allows the blood vessels of the placenta to develop next to the blood vessels of the mare, and is the way the foal derives his oxygen while he is growing inside mama. Soon after birth, the placenta detaches itself from the uterine wall, usually expelled within 15 to 60 minutes after foaling. I gently tugged on the exposed part of Babe's placenta and slowly teased it out of the uterus until it plopped onto the ground. Infertility resulting from infection occurs if pieces of the placenta remain attached to the uterus. Therefore, I needed to make sure Babe expelled the entire placenta, so I carefully laid it on the ground, arranging it to look like a head of a bunny with two big long ears. The body of the placenta was the head, and the two long horns of the placenta were the ears. I needed to make sure each ear had its rounded end piece attached. Once I made sure the entire afterbirth was intact, I examined Babe's vagina to see if the delivery had caused any tearing of the vagina. There was some bruising, but no tears in the vaginal wall. I was happy. There were no problems with this delivery. I delivered Babe's colt on February 23, 1985. Mary and Melanie called the horse New Moon because he had a sliver of white on his head. After we shared champagne, Mary and I retired to her house and Mary invited me to share her bed. I suggest both of us had a New Moon experience that night. Mary had a new horse and I had a new relationship. End of chapter.
Thank you all for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick my books, and click on Fear of Failure. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book, as well as an 11-disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site ACX. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com.